You're tuned in to the MBIT podcast, led by Seamus Madan. Economic and financial topics broken down, educating you on your financial journey. Hey, everybody, welcome to the MBIT podcast, in which we discuss personal finance, tech, and entrepreneurship. Today, we whipped up a wonderful episode for you guys. Uh, we have a very special guest. Matt Allen joins us today. Uh, so, Matt, would you mind introducing yourself to the audience? Hey, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, my name is Matt Allen. I'm the founder and CEO of Bean Invest. Uh, I write a, a weekly newsletter. Um, and then, you know, I've been investing and studying the stock market since I was in the eighth grade. Me and you just talked about it a little bit. And, you know, I really look forward to uh, for you having me on. I appreciate you taking time to uh, hop on the pod. When did you get interested in the personal finance world? I know you mentioned your eighth grade teacher, but uh, mention a little bit more about that. What got you interested in that? In yeah, so case? when I was in the eighth grade, my, my economics for, uh, teacher, uh, Tom Reinhardt, he, he every day at lunch, he would have me go in and uh, check his stock portfolio. And, and I really didn't know what, what I was looking at other, other than if the stock prices are going up or down. And I always have to report to him how his portfolio is doing. And he was a he was a real funny guy. So, you know, if it was, if we were having a bad day in the market, he, he would not be very happy. But so then he, he also taught me, kind of introduced me into about to Warren Buffett and, you know, reading, learning about Warren Buffett from a young age really set my foundation. And that's one of the things, the guiding principles I still use today uh, by far, but that's kind of how I got invest, got involved. And then as you, as, as I got older and it started learning more is that, you know, you really start developing your own plan, your own process. And, and kind of how how you how you want to kind of go after companies and evaluate companies or look at companies that you like or don't like. What are some principles that you learned from Warren Buffett that uh, have carried throughout your investment career? So, a lot of people get uh, Warren very confused. Um, I think you see a lot of people on Twitter who you know Twitter is a great uh, uh, place for knowledge, and I, and I learned so much on Twitter. But I think one of the things I'll argue about people with Warren is that Warren, from a very young age, he was a great investor. But one of the first things I learned about Warren is that he would use he would do a lot of trading and to build up his portfolio. He would be big on getting cash. And then as Warren as Warren moved on, he uh, Berkshire became an insurance company. He, he had he had a pretty much a glorified hedge fund with this called Buffett Partners. And eventually he realized that he could never scale Buffett Partners. So he got in the business of buying legit businesses and and he used to do what he, he used to look for these things called stocks that are like used cigar buds. So he wanted to take the last puff out of a cigar and, and make this stock on his last run. I know last run that was like a real cheap stock. They think to get like a 20, uh, we'll get 20, 40, 50% on, on one gain on it. But then he, then he went into uh, buying great companies. And so what, what I really learned from him when he started to change his whole mindset is that, is that he was, he's so disciplined in the sense of, he has he he will discount. What he does is he finds the intrinsic value of the company, and so when he finds that intrinsic value, he's very very disciplined. Of hey, let's say we think a, a company is worth fifty dollars a share. Well, he will wait until that it gets down to like twenty dollars a share, and then and that's what he, that's what he's so good. And so he's he's incredible at, at finding at discounting cash flow and and finding companies that are uh, great companies on a discount. And for people who in the audience who don't know what uh, intrinsic value is, um, what is it and how can you find it? So in, intrinsic value is that if we 10 years from now, we knew everything about the company. Uh, we had all the information to us in that what it'd be worth 10 years from now. And so basically, let, let's say you have a water bottle. The water bottle is worth five dollars. 
that's its intrinsic value. But the stock market might have it selling for $25 or $1. And so what, what you have to do as an investor is be able to find a company that is on a, on a deal. Let's say it's going for, for $1 a share, that water bottle. And you, you, know, you know the bottle should be worth $5. You want to wait till it gets around $1, $1 a share, and then you buy it. And, you, and eventually, a stock will always get back to its intrinsic value, always. That's including the Teslas of the world. That's including anything. And how I find intrinsic value is, I, is my buddy Tim Anders and I, we, we discount cash flow. And so what we do is we, we, take, we go through the a company's financials, my co, uh, the company's balance sheets. And we, we take everything that we can get from the company and try and figure out, hey, what is this company worth? And by, by discounting the cash flow, we, we, we are very conservative in the sense of we know we're not that smart. <laughs> so so, we, so we, we use what we call room for error. And we, we want to be very, very conservative on when we discount it. That makes sense. And um, you are known for turning around 1.6K into 36K in a matter of two weeks. Um, but what? It, where did you start your investing journey? What stock did you invest in first? And what did you learn from it? So I, one of the first companies I invested in was uh, SiriusXM Radio. And uh, I, I actually invested in it. My mom, my mom helped me set up a brokerage account when I was in, when I was in middle school. And... I bought it right before the financial cry, uh, crash. It was I was very devastated about it. It was a very very small sum of money, but I just really thought I I sucked. Um, and I learned at that time is that one is that looking back, I probably never should have even made the investment uh, because because I I believe that that there was going to be uh, exit radios in every car, which they were, but if you would have discounted uh, uh, CRX's value, get their intrinsic value. It was we 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 paid I think three dollars a share, and it was probably worth fifty cents a share because they just dilute their shareholders so much they had so much debt on the balance sheet. And then and another thing I learned during that time, looking back, is that you know if you buy good companies, if you hold these companies for ten years, you don't you don't care what happens in a financial crisis. You you love that you want that because why? Because you can right. let's say remember the intrinsic value is that fi that five dollar water bottle might be selling for fifty cents. And I learned, yep. I, I learned, hey, you know, when, when things get bad, that's when the great investors really, really go all in. And it's so easy to talk about, but it's so hard to do because, you know, you have everyone in the world saying, oh, you know, CNBC does not love when the market's up. They love red days because they get their, their ratings go up. You yeah. know, people are panicking on there. People are freaking out. Well, well, emotions are so much of what investing is. It's probably 75% of the whole investment process. And so whenever red, 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 our, our market goes crazy. Like whenever the market's red, 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 our, our emotions go crazy. We, we, don't, we don't know what to, what to do with it. And I tell people this example. People say, ask me all the time, well, how do you handle red days? Let's say you have a house that is worth $300,000, but you pay... 250 for it. Okay. You get on a deal and you know, one day that house is going to be worth 400,000. Well, let's say that every Monday morning at nine 31, someone comes knocking on the door asking, asking you if they want to sell your house for $50,000, you would say, no, you're crazy. And that's the same thing in the stock market. The only difference is with between your house or a private company is that they have no stock market where you can go and check on the current value of the company. <laughs> and once you realize, Hey, 
all the stock market does is give you a value of a company between 930 to four o'clock, five days a week. And you realize, hey, if you know what this company is worth, if you believe in this company, the red days, you'll start saying, hey, wait, I know this company is worth $5 a share. It's trading for $1 a share right now. And once you start looking at it like that, that's when you can really start making some money. Yeah, you brought up an excellent point is uh, to take your emotions out of investing. The one thing uh, I found that helps it um, on the red days is it took me a couple years. I never decided to sell on red days, but uh, if I'm only allocating a certain amount of risk to investing as not money I need for anything, then it's not that big of a problem. And I actually kind of get excited over time for when the red days happen because I see it as an opportunity. So over long periods of time, that's what I think long-term investors start to see, as you mentioned, with the CNBC. Yeah, and, and, and that's exactly what you have to do. You have to say, hey, you know, you get these things, all red days are, are ways to make money. You know, and I say, hey, I tell people, if you, if you, if you want a simple uh, trick, literally uh, only sell on green days and only buy on red days. If you stick to that, you know, it's a lot more complicated than that. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really good trick because with, you know, people panic sell like crazy and it blows my mind sometimes. Especially, you know, when you buy a company that you believe in for the long term. You know, it's a short-term trade. It's a little different, but if you have a company that you believe in for the next ten years, why the hell are you selling it on its down? I mean, like that—that'd be like selling your house, your house that's worth three hundred thousand dollars. That would be like selling it to someone off the street for fifty thousand dollars. You know, and people don't look at it like that, but that's literally what you're doing. People—people people don't look at investing when you when you invest, you're buying a hundred percent of a company. You should look at every single investment as you're buying a hundred percent of the company. That's what one of the things. That's one of the things Warren Buffett does. Um, he says, he, you know, if it doesn't matter if he's buying um, a, a, a private company or buying a, a share of Apple, he looks at, hey, we're going to buy the, we're going to look at this and we're buying the whole 100% of the company. Yeah, that's an excellent perspective on it. Um, I think when you take a look at it from a perspective that you're buying the entire company, you end up wanting to do a lot more due diligence, which in terms means yeah. you have a safer investment. Um, so going back to the 1.6K to 36K, how did you turn $1,000 to $36,000 in two weeks? I, I, I did it. It was, a, it was on a trade. It was on a um, Alibaba call option. Uh, the Chinese market was getting, was getting uh, not destroyed like it is right now, but they were having, it was, so, it was some of the beginning rumblings of President Xi Jinping out of China kind of talked, uh, saying, hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm really happy with what's going on. Then we had the Congress came out and said, well, we might delist Chinese stocks. Then I realized, hey, that, you know, I looked at the trade setup, looked at the charts. It looked really, really good. And then I realized, hey, they're not going to delist Chinese stocks. It's just that's just all political them talking. Um, it'd be a very, very. I know I understand why they were talking about it because they made really good points, but it, it's just not politically possible for them to do that. And so I get back in on the deal. And we did we did uh, uh, far out of the money call options, um, and the options the, the price and the options kept on going down. And we had and I knew the support line, and once we hit support, to the options were down. We hammered it. I hammered it even more, <laughs> and it worked out pretty well. And uh, in terms of the trading, we see a lot of beginner investors, especially with Wall Street bets, GameStop, AMC, gravitating towards these getting rich quick schemes and trading. What are your thoughts on getting rich quick and trading for new investors, or should they focus on long-term investing? I think, well, I got a couple of thoughts on that. One, I think every investor, including the analysts on CNBC, have to 
define the difference between investing and trading. I say, hey, when the difference is, this is a dumb analogy I use. When you invest in a company, it is, you need to look at it like your spouse, someone you want to marry. You're going to be with them for a very, very long time. And when you're trading, it's kind of like that person you want to take home from the bar. You know, you get in, get out. But it's two whole different things that you look at. Number one, when you're investing in the company, you're looking at the, you're reading the balance sheets, the financial statements, the, uh, you know, who are the leaderships? What's their plan 10 years from now? What's the future growth of them? What's their discount value? What's their intrinsic value? You know, blah, blah, blah. But when you're trading, you're looking at charts. You're looking at the technical setup. I don't, when I trade a company, when I did the Alibaba deal, I didn't, I didn't not look at their financial statement. It didn't give a damn. You know, I looked at their charts, the technical setup. And the GameStop trade, for example, was one of the best trades of all time that, you know, will never get the, the rightly deserved. Just because when you're trading, when you find a company that has a good setup like this with high short interest that you can force to squeeze, it's a brilliant, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. This thing got out a little out of control uh, in terms of just the whole everything that happens. And the people who want to get rich quick, I tell you, it's not going to happen. This is a very hard business. Uh, you have to spend a lot of time working. You have to you have to decide, hey, do I want to be an investor? Do I want to be a trader? Do, do I want to do both? I like to trade to try and fuel my long-term investments because one thing about it is traders never build wealth, only investors. But you have to have cash to be an investor. <laughs> and so I tell people all the time, they they, they, they they go on Robinhood, buy a couple of stocks, try and flip it while they're just looking at the Robinhood price. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're not doing anything. If you're not reading charts, like, it's okay if you want to speculate trade. You gotta be reading charts. You gotta spend the time. If not, you're literally just gambling. Hundred percent. We see uh, those. Uh, Ninety-five percent of long-term investors, according to NerdWallet, have a chance of tripling their money over forty years. But ninety-seven percent of day traders lose money with less than one percent of them being profitable. So yeah, what are your thoughts on those statistics? I I, I think trading's um, incredibly hard. I think if you when if you want to learn how to trade, you need to get a strategy. I use. I use two strategies. They're very simple. I, I do I do all right with them, but they're I either look for a, a swing setup, which is a three to six month setup, or I will find um, companies that just got hit in the mouth. And they're when you go look at their charts, they're 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 there's trying to keep it simple. There's there's te- there's technical indicators that show that it's very very oversold, and so when the stock's really oversold, the al- the algorithms will hit it, and so I will get in get out real quick on that. But people, when they day trade or do whatever, sometimes they do in, uh, on Robinhood, is that it's just not day trading is very hard. Um, I, I I I don't like day trading uh, because of exactly the statistics you just said. I hear from people all the time who say they're day traders, but I'm like, I mean, that's a, you you just you just read the stats. It's a very hard thing to do, and there's nothing wrong with a few strategies. But when you're investing, trading, whatever you're doing, you have to get a strategy. And then stick with it and master it. And that can be a million different ways to do it. So there's no right or wrong way, but you can you have to keep it simple. Keep it simple, stupid, is what I always tell myself. Like usually whenever I make a mistake, it's because I'm like, what in the hell are you doing? Like it's 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 a dumb mistake. Definitely. And uh, for people looking to find uh, more of your insights, uh, where can they find that? Yeah, uh, mattallenletter.com, uh, M-A-T-T-A-L-L-E-N letter.com. Uh, I write I write insights uh, to to uh, paid newsletters and then free newsletters. I send one out every Wednesday. Um, I enjoy talking about wealth, uh, technology, stocks, um, 
investing in general, crypto, and just kind of whatever I feel like writing about that week. Um, you know, we, we've brought up to thousands of subscribers now, and, and it's cool getting all the feedback and, you know, helping people try and build the financial wealth uh, to, to get to financial freedom. I think that's one of the things that the generations above us never talked about was financial freedom. I mean, so I think some of the most comments I get is from, you know, baby boomers that come to me and say, thank you. You know, I've been looking for some of this information my whole life. I just never knew how to find it. And I think, I think everyone alive right now is lucky because we live in the information age. There's never been an easier time in the history of the world to go and find as much information about anything you want and learn about it. And so, I mean, I, that's why I encourage you. I say, Hey, you know, don't dis get discouraged, say when you're trading, for example, but I'm like, if you're not going out there and learning your how to look at charts, read charts, then you're not like we're lucky because 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you either had to pay a lot. You had to pay a lot of money to learn how to trade stocks you had to buy courses and all. It's now you get all somewhat for free. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great time that we live in. And what can people find in your uh, free newsletter versus your paid newsletter? Yeah, in my, in my free newsletter, it's just it's just it's all usually about things that are uh, going on in the world. Well, there's just a subject I want to talk about. For example, two weeks ago, I wrote down all the EV companies for everyone. Uh, but then also, like the one I'm sending out tomorrow is about uh, Char Charlie Munger's mental models. Uh, and, and so it kind of it's a wide variation. And then, and then the premium is more talking about individual stocks. Um, like, for example, last Tuesday, I sent out a stock for okay, in, in my paid newsletter. I sent out Marathon Digital Group at 95 cents. Then it hit $89 in a year and a half. Um, and so I'll send out stock picks or stock, mainly stock research, uh, market research. Uh, we'll talk literally just kind of goes off what I feel. I think we should talk about, uh, I sent out a, a, a company last Tuesday, uh, that's at $5. And when I, when you do the math, it should be intrinsically valued at $18, I think. And so, you know, sometimes people, one thing I, you'll, you'll find that's funny as an investor yourself is I'll, I'll get emails, people saying, uh, I need a new company. And I'm like, well, it's not that easy. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want to just send out companies unless, yeah. you know, I feel comfortable sending them out. Yeah. And, uh, I'll put a link down in the description below. Uh, any final thoughts, uh, to wrap it up for the audience? Um, one thing is that as I was, um, I'm a tech and I mainly focus on tech companies and, but I really think there's a lot of things that, that our age group can learn from Warren Buffett. He's by far the greatest of all time. Uh, when you really get to know what uh, Warren Buffett and Berkshire are built, you'd be very um, shocked. Um, and, and, you know, people make fun of him and stuff sometimes because they say, oh, he's not a tech investor. That's not necessarily true. He is, a, he, he, for example, he doesn't believe in growth versus value stocks. He, you know, he believes that all stocks are the same. It's, it's the value comes from, hey, what you put in is what you get um, 10 years from now. And I think everyone should should turn to him and there's so much information about him on YouTube and that you can learn a lot. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm a big Warren Buffett fan myself. That's where I learned uh, a lot of my long-term strategies and investment tips. Um, yep. All right, everyone, that wraps it up for today's episode. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to drop a five-star review down below. And thank you, Matt, for hopping on the pod. It was a pleasure. Thank you, buddy. Disclaimer, the MBIT podcast is reflecting the opinion of only the host. The podcast is for informational purposes only. The podcast is also not a research report. It is not a recommendation to purchase or sell any stocks, holdings, or securities. The podcast is also not meant to serve as the basis of any investment decision.